Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. And uh, I, first of all, I just want to say thank you for being here. I love to see you guys here in church. I love this fellowship, the richness of this fellowship that we have and the, enjoy the, the love of God um, expressed to one another. And I get great joy and encouragement from being with you. And I love you very much, and I thank you. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You're going to go to 1 John chapter 5, um, but I'm just going to, before we get there, I want to just share some things with you. Um, pinpointing the date of the writing of uh, 1 John is a little bit difficult, but because of its similarity with the Gospel of John, and they're the same author, the Gospel of John, First and Second, and Third John and Revelation were all written by the Apostle John, but it was... So it was probably written near the same time as the Gospel of John, all basically when John was exiled to Patmos, and um, because they couldn't kill him, they tried to kill him, boiled him in oil, but he wouldn't die. And uh, so then he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos, and that's where he began to write and had the greatest revelation and wrote about it, um, which says the revelation, this is a book of the revelation of Jesus Christ, Amen. And so John referred to himself, as we know, as the, the apostle or the disciple that Jesus loved. So the date of this writing, somewhere around AD 90 is what they can best assume. So think about the AD 90, which means he was an old man at this point. And so we're hearing from a man who's had a lot of life experience. We're hearing from a man who was the closest friend that Jesus had on planet Earth. Jesus had different levels of relationships. He had a relationship with the crowd, but, you know, you couldn't really go into a deep relationship with them. But then he had his 500, remember the 500 witnesses of his resurrection. Then there were the 70, remember he sent out 70 disciples at one point. Then he had his 12. Then he had his three, Peter, James, and John. And they got to see a couple of special miracles that the other ones didn't get to see. Those three got to see him glorified, transfigured on that mountain where they saw Moses and Elijah. Well, but John was the only one at the foot of his cross. All the rest of them had left. And the scripture says that John even leaned on Jesus' chest as they lounged and, and had dinner. He was very close to Jesus. And he was the one that Jesus, in his dying breath as he hung on that cross, looked at his mother, and gave her over to the care of John. And it says, from that day forward, John took Mary into his home and took care of her. So we see that this is a very, very dear relationship that they had. And so this is the one who's speaking to us. I want to hear from this guy. I want to hear what John has to say. Nobody knew Jesus like he did. Um, it's interesting that First John, there are a lot of comparisons, and they're very simple. It's Christ versus antichrists. It's light versus darkness. It's truth versus falsehood. It's righteousness versus sin. The love of the Father versus the love of the world. The Spirit of God versus the Spirit of the Antichrist. And so while this is not a complete list I've given you here, but it's basically a, a quick summary. It reveals a, a, a letter that represents the world in a very uncomplicated way. There is right and there is wrong, period. And though this emphasis by John is really quite striking in the way that he presents it, it is with much love that he presents it. And John teaches that love comes from God 
And he encouraged the believers then as a result of that for us to love one another. And this first epistle that John wrote here, while it's important to recognize the lines between truth and error, it always must be done in the spirit of love. So he, de- he stated with clarity the purpose of his letter a few different times. He proclaimed why he wrote it. He wrote the good news about Jesus to the recipients of this letter and saying so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. It's beautiful, isn't it? And, and he also said, I write to you so that you may not sin. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. He also said, so that you may know that you have eternal life. I'm writing this letter to you so that you may know that you have eternal life. And he wanted his readers to experience true fellowship with God and with God's people. But he knew that that would not happen until Christians would set aside their own, aside their own selfish desires and in favor of the pursuits that God had for them. So to help the believers attain this goal, John focuses on three issues. The zeal of the believers, that is standing firm against false teachers. Don't we see that throughout the New Testament? Even Paul had to warn against that. Um, As the enemy is fighting furiously this beautiful message of freedom in God through the grace of the Lord Jesus, always trying to bring us back into bondage, always trying to bring us back into our own self-effort, our own self-righteousness, to try to take away from the freedom that we have in God loving us. Amen. Also reassuring Christians that they have eternal life. He wrote this so beautifully in this epistle. He wrote to the churches full of people who had struggled with discouragement, Uh, whether due to their own sinful failures or just the trials and the persecutions that they were enduring during that time. And so this this aging apostle uh, wrote this to ignite the zeal in these believers so that they will follow the Lord more more closely and to experience all the love that God has for them and to stand firm against those who were there to sow discord and to bring division among the people. And in doing so, to help solidify their relationship with God and gain confidence in His work in their lives. So some scriptures, some very familiar scriptures that are found in this book that I love and I think that you'll find that, that, that you love. And there's so many. I mean, I, as I was going through them, I thought, well, I can't tell all of these tonight. But some of these are, that you know so many of them, just so wonderfully written. You know this one, 1 John 2, 27. Now, you don't have to bring this up on the screen, Lisa. I'm just going to quote them. But the anointing which you have received from Him abides in you. That's good to know, isn't it? You know, those guys in the Old Testament, before Jesus died on that cross, before the Spirit came, they had anoint, experiences with the anointing, but it wasn't an anointing that stayed with them. It wasn't an anointing that abided. It would come upon them, and then it would go. And that's what made David seem like a madman sometimes, because he said, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Can you imagine what that must have been like? But see, now you have him dwelling on the inside of you. You have an anointing that abides it's right there at your beck and call. And then he says, And you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointed teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. How about this one? You are of God, little children, and have already overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in, this, in the world. This is found in 1 John. How about this one? Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And he who does not love does not know God. 
for God is love. That's one of the songs I learned when I was a kid. Anybody know that song? Beloved, let us love one another. All by myself on that one. All right. I'm going to stop right there. How about this one? In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. You probably know this one because you've heard me say it, oh, probably 150 times. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. For as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. 1 John 4.18 says, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have... I mean, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. It reminds me of that, that husband and wife-to-be who had... They wanted to put that scripture reference on their cake. They wanted to put 1 John 4.18, there is no fear in love. Well, something got lost in translation. And so the cake maker simply put John 4.18. Well, you don't want that on your wedding cake. Because John 4.18 is where Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, and he says, for you have had five husbands, and the one that you are now with is not your husband. So, <laughs> yikes. <laughs> First John 5.4. This is one that we say a lot here at One Cause Church. But whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world even our faith. Verse 5 says, Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And then lastly, in, in chapter 5, verse 13, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. See, you believe on him, you have a knowing then. A knowing come, you know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Those are some great, great verses. So there are some also that we're going to use now for our structure here. And we're going to look at our memento first for a moment. And we're going to look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. You've heard this before. Now, this is the confidence that we have in Him. That if we ask anything, I want you to say anything really loud. According to His will, He hears us. Watch verse 15. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, say whatever we ask. We know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. Now, my family, we've got to get a hold of this truth. We've got to stop as believers being insecure in our prayer life, being unsure in our prayer life, being not knowing, seeing it like, I hope it works this time. I'll roll the dice. A prayer is not a roll of dice. It is a communion with God. And when you pray... You need to know that he hears you and that when knowing that he hears you, you know what you have. Yeah, but Pastor Eric, it says you got to pray according to his will. I know it does. Let me show you what it means to pray according to his will. All right? For a moment, let's go over to Mark because we need to get a little broader understanding of this. So we're going to go to another scripture, Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. Mark is a great book, isn't it? Mark, uh, Mark chapter 11, I mean. I'm sorry. Verse 24. Mark chapter... <laughs> Therefore, I say to you, can we all just read these next, the, the rest of this verse together, nice and loud? Whatever, let me hear you read it. 
Maybe we need to get a, a, a reading class here first. All right, let's, I'll, I'll read it with you. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Now let me ask you something. Let me ask you something. Who said those words? Well, we don't have the red letters up there, but it is in red letter. This is what Jesus said. And I want you to notice something. Jesus did not go at this point, just like so many of us do, and some of my pastor friends, they start backpedaling right here. Now let me explain this. Obviously, he doesn't mean whatever. Start putting caveats, start putting conditions on it. Start. Jesus didn't do any of that. He just said it. And it just said, deal with that. And human reasoning starts going, uh, why that can't be true and why I'm not worthy and why... Are you hearing me? We just talk ourselves right out of faith all the time. Got to stop that. We're believers. We're not doubters. We're receivers. We're not go-withouters. Amen. Say that with me. I'm a believer. Not a doubter. I'm a receiver, not a go-without-er. <laughs> Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. The caveat to all of this was, is verse 22, it says, have faith in God. What does faith in God look like? Pray about whatever. And when you pray about whatever, believe that you receive whatever. Believe that God is big enough for whatever's. That's what he's teaching us. Well, I don't know if this is Lord's will or not. I've got to make sure because John said, God, okay, now let's go back to John for a moment. I'm going to help bring this into perspective. Verse 14. Was John standing there when Jesus said those words? You better, better believe it. He was. John's not putting a new condition on this. He's saying the exact same thing Jesus was. Watch. This is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask what? Anything. What is anything? Anything is according to His will. That's what He's saying. He's not saying you better make sure it's according to His will. He's saying anything is according to His will. See, we, we read this stuff twisted sometimes. If we ask anything according... Because we'll look, at, look at the next verse. According to His will. And if we know that He hears us, what? Whatever we ask. He just said what Jesus said. Anything is according to his will. In other words, what he's saying is, talk to God about all of it. Ask him anything. Ask him whatever. Hallelujah. Now watch. This is the truth. I want you to take this home with you. He, his will is that you ask anything. He always hears you. He always hears you. Your heavenly Father always... Listen to me, you're not an employee. You're not a slave. You're a son. Your father is waiting to hear from you. And when you speak, he knows your voice. He knows his children. I can remember when I would hear one of my kids cry in a crowd of people. Or hear one of them say, Daddy. I knew, that's, one, that's Maddie, that's Laurel. I knew their voice because they're mine. God knows your voice. 
So you can know that when you bring to him anything and whatever, he hears you. Oh, this is good. If you'll get free enough to believe this, amen. If you know, now watch, and if you know God hears you, how many of you know God hears you tonight? All right. Then you know you have what you asked of him. Can you see? That's why John started off, this is the confidence that we have. When we pray, stuff happens. When we pray to our Heavenly Father, we get what we ask for. Period. Oh, let's just be dogmatic about that, huh? Let's be crazy enough to believe that so that we can receive that and live in that experience. Amen. Now let's go to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. Now I'm going to help un... Help... Maybe get rid of, once and for all, hopefully, a a religious stronghold that has been in the church and robbing God's people for years. I mean, it robbed me for years until I finally got understanding. My relationship with God changed drastically. What happened during this age of the church, this, this human religion known as Gnosticism. Anybody here familiar with Gnosticism or Gnostics? It comes from the root word gnosis, the Greek word gnosis, which just means knowledge. These Gnostics had come in and crept in and began to tell people that there's, there's no sin because there's no value to the flesh. This is all really an illusion. We are already at the zenith or the apex of spirituality. And so they began to teach this, which is basically humanism in a lot of ways. Just that we are already there. We don't need anything else. All of this is is of no value. So then they would deny then that God would come in the flesh. Why would God need to come in the flesh? There's no point to that. Because ultimately we are already spiritual beings. And when you come into greater knowledge and greater knowledge and greater knowledge, then you experience that more. That, that's, that's how they believe. It's just a false doctrine, false religion. And so here's how John opens up chapter 1. He begins to hammer at that thought. Okay, now watch what he says. He has to open this up with a defense. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. Now you know why John's saying it like this. Now you know why he's describing it, because he had to let them know, hey, I'm one with experience. I walked with this man. I saw God in the flesh. I saw him. I I saw him turn water into wine. I watched it with my own eyes. I watched him put his hands on a blind man's eyes, and that man started seeing I watched him raise a man from the dead. As a matter of fact, I watched him breathe his last on that cross. I watched them take his body down from that cross, watched him put it in a tomb, and then three days later, he came out of that tomb and I saw him resurrected. I, saw, I didn't see some apparition of him. I sat down with him and ate and drank with him. He was physically resurrected from the dead. I handled him. I heard him. I saw him. Are you seeing what he, why he's saying this? So he sets it up. Next verse. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you 
that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Whoa, can we go back to two for just a moment? What did he say? And declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifest. What was the eternal life he's talking about? He's talking about Jesus. He just said Jesus is eternal life. And when Jesus showed up, life showed up. Eternal life showed up. See, you, got, you didn't just get this gift of eternal life. You got Jesus who is eternal life. Wow. The life was manifested and we have seen... Let's go to verse 3. That which we have seen and heard and declare to you... Boy, he's, he's uh, telling us again, isn't he? That which we have seen and heard, we declare that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Next, verse 4. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. Mm, that's good. I wish I could go into all the meetings of all that, but I can't. I don't have time. To... This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. See, you think that you're in the light through your knowledge, but God is light. And if you're not in him, then you're in darkness. Okay? Watch, if we say we have fellowship with him, here's what it, here's what it is. If we say, say we have and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. You act like that you're a spiritual being, but you want nothing to do with him, then you're not in the light. You're not enlightened. You're in darkness. Verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. The Greek term for the word cleanse there is has cleansed and continues to cleanse. That's beautiful. Has cleansed and continues to cleanse. If we say we have no sin, this is what they're saying. That this is what the Gnostics were saying. There's no sin. I haven't sinned. That, that's not even an issue. But he said, if we, have, if we say we deceive ourselves and the truth isn't in us. If you're saying that you have no sin, then you're saying there is no need for a Savior. Then you're lost. You're in darkness. You're living a lie. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Right here, let's park. This one verse, one verse taken out of context, out of him building a case, an argument to show us our sinful condition and our need for a Savior has been brought out of this book and brought right into Christian practice. And it has been hammered on people. You got to confess your sins. You better confess your sins. You got to confess your sins. You got to confess your sins. You need to confess your sins every day, every night before you go to sleep. Make sure that you confess your sins just in case. And it has robbed people of the joy of their salvation. It's robbed people of focusing on Jesus as their savior, thinking that they're part of the salvation. They have to have a part in their salvation. He saved me, but I got I keep myself saved. Through confessing my sins? Are you kidding me? If confessing our sins was this dire for us as believers, 
if this is the, one of the main things that we must do in order to stay in the grace of God, in order to stay in this salvation, why doesn't the Apostle Paul say one thing about it? The Apostle to us. Why doesn't the Apostle of the Gentiles say one thing about you and I having a regular practice of confessing our sins? Not one time. Not one. That's not even what John is saying. But it's what these religious preachers say. And it's got people caught up in this vicious cycle. I'm telling you, when I heard that, I remember as a kid thinking that, I mean, I always, here's what my prayer life was for many, many years. Forgive me, Lord, forgive me, forgive me. I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry, forgive me. And, and I was praying. Now, maybe you don't relate to this at all, but I'm just telling you my own personal. I was praying so that I wouldn't go to hell. That was my prayer life. It was a fearful prayer. It was something I just wanted to get done, and then, okay, now I can go on. And that's about as deep as my relationship with God was going. It, you know what it didn't do for me? It didn't set me free. It didn't make me a better Christian. It didn't make me act better. It didn't make me walk stronger. It just made me feel better that I got it off my chest. You know what I was producing without realizing it? Self-righteousness. I was talking to a man some, some years ago who's, who's a part of a great ministry, and I won't name any of that, but he called me, we were talking on the phone, and, and we partnered with them through the years and done different projects with them, and translating the Bible into, into audio stuff, and then we would, we would help invest in that, and they would, they send it all over, it's an amazing thing, it's an amazing ministry what they're doing, but after it was all done, he said, you know, Pastor Eric, every night I, conf I confess my sins before I go to sleep, just in case, and I, I said, just in case what? Just in case? You're depending on you? I mean, you've been serving Jesus all these years, and this is what you think? You're depending on you to stay saved? Then you need to get saved. You need to put all your trust in Him. Yeah. Can I say this tonight? I'm going to say this as strongly as I know how. God is not going to forgive you of your sins. He already did. He already did. Amen. It's the once for all sacrifice. Thank you, bro. Having forgiven Thank us all our trespasses. Yes. Thank you. Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. What a, what a waste of time to ask Him to forgive you when He already has. That'd be like me every other day going, Honey, will you marry me? Yeah, see, that's ridiculous. I wonder how God feels about how ridiculous we are. Will you forgive me? Seriously? What if I said no this time? No! But all we've done, my family, is, is just this is man's attempt again to think that he's got to get in the salvation process. He's got to help God. It happened with the sacrificial system, remember? What would they do to atone for their sins? They would have to sacrifice these animals over and over again. But the book of Hebrews teaches us, it says, by those sacrifices, there was a continual reminder of sin. 
All they would do, as these animals are being sacrificed, all the people would do is remember their failures. Sin consciousness, eaten up with sin consciousness. This is not what God has done for you. This is not what Jesus went through for you to have. So we said, we believe in Jesus, we believe in his blood. So then we've replaced that sacrificial system with our confession of sin, which is just a new sacrificial system. Thinking that this cleanses us based on one verse of Scripture that we didn't understand. All John is saying is if you don't recognize, if you don't say about the sin, what is God? You know what the word means? It says if we confess our sins, the word confess is the word, it's a, it's a, the Greek word, it's a long word, homologeo. Let's all make a friend of that word. Homologeo. H-O-M-O-L-O-G-E-O. Homologeo. You could, you could start your prayer language off if you say it fast enough. Homologeo, 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 homologeo. What it means is, it means to agree with or to say the same thing as. So you need to agree who you're agreeing with. Well, you're agreeing with God. About your sins. What has God said about your sins? Here's what he said. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's what God has said about our sin. Through one man, sin came into the world. And by that sin, then death came into the world. And therefore, all sinned. All were credited with Adam's sin. That's what the Bible teaches us. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What else does God say about our sins? Christ died for our sins. So what John is saying is that we need to say about our sins what he has said. Not, okay, Lord, now I'm sorry for this, and I'm sorry for that, and sorry for this, and I'm sorry for that, and I lied, and I cheated, and I stole, and I picked my nose in public, and did this and that. You know, when I teach people this, Their next question is, so what do I do if I sin? Number one, stop. That's a good place. That's that's a good thing to just stop. Okay? Stop. He forgave you before you ever even asked for forgiveness. Peter's preaching at Cornelius' house, and he says, whoever believes on him will receive remission of sins. And the next thing that happens, they all start speaking in tongues. Nobody has taken time to confess their sins. Lord, I admit I'm a sinner. I, I mean, I'm not saying all that's necessarily a bad thing. Because we all need to understand that we are in sin and I need a Savior. Right? But once you have received this forgiveness, that forgiveness is Forever. So what do you do if you sin? I'm glad you asked. Now let's go to 1 John chapter 2. I'm almost through. 1 John chapter 2, the very next chapter. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. Did you see that? Wow. Is it possible to be a Christian and not sin? Is it possible? I'm going to ask you this question again. This isn't a trick question. Is it possible to be a Christian and not sin? 
How many of you have a choice in here? If you came in here tonight and you're a free person and you actually have a choice? Okay, now that you know that, is it possible to be a Christian and not sin? Okay, it is possible because you have a choice. It was an accident. That adultery was an accident. I, I don't know what happened. Are you kidding me? You have a choice. So what John is saying is you have a choice. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. You don't have to sin. I'm not saying it's probable that you won't. I'm just saying it's possible. Okay? Because this is, this is you're so thoroughly made righteous in Him. The problem is we don't identify with that near enough. We still identify with this flesh. And when you do that, you become a slave of sin. You become weak to it, powerless. But those who receive an abundance of grace, woo, they'll reign in life. Sin shall not have dominion over you. You're not under law. You're under grace. Well, I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, they need to go to the priest or they need to confess all their sins. Is that what he says? Oh, no, 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 no. This is good. Now, now he's talking to us believers. Notice he said, my little children. Oh, okay. All right, now he says, these things I write so that you may not say, and if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Whoa. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Oh, my Lord Jesus. Did that just say that Jesus starts confessing for me as soon if I sin? Is that what that says? What's an advocate? Someone who speaks on your behalf. Someone who intercedes for you. If, if we sin, we have an advocate. Jesus starts talking for us. Whoa. Hey, listen. I'm going to let him do the talking. Because I like where he's sitting. He's sitting on the throne of grace. He's seated on the mercy seat. He's seated in his own blood. Hallelujah. He bears the marks of the covenant. It says paid for right here. Judge, paid for. He's, he's confessing. He is there interceding on our behalf. Now, what does that make you want to do? How does that, make you, how does that cause you to respond? Oh, cool. I can just go out and sin recklessly then. Is that, is that anybody's response to this? Oh, this makes, me, this makes me want to please him. That he would do that for me? This is how on my side he is? That if I sin, Jesus starts talking on my behalf and interceding. So what's my response? Come boldly before the throne of grace and obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Lord, thank you that you died for my sins. That's my confession. Thank you that you died for my sins. Thank you that you have forgiven me, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for that. And you can talk to your high priest. And if you want to tell him you're sorry, tell him you're sorry. But don't pretend like for one moment that that has anything to do with your salvation. Don't buy into that lie. You ain't that awesome. He had to save you. Remember, you were powerless to save yourself. He saved you. You need to come and give him glory and honor for what he did for you. Stop acting like I'm going to put my soap bar of... Confession of my sin so I can feel good about myself. Get over that. Huh? He gets the glory. Yeah. 
He gets the honor. He's the one that died for your sins. You run to Him and say, thank you, Jesus, that you're there on my behalf before the Father. See, it takes a whole different approach to your God now. See, now your prayer life becomes a little more fun. Amen. When I, when I got over that, you know what I found about my life? I started winning. I started walking out of stuff that was plaguing me. I started walking out of failures in my own life. Got out of vicious cycles when I started truly believing on Jesus and Him alone. And stopped trusting in my own man-made efforts and attempts. Amen. Jesus is the one who brought us into a right relationship with God. He is the propitiation that says for our sins, which means he is the appeasement. He's the expiator, the one who appeases. Aren't you grateful for this advocate tonight that we have with the Father? Aren't you grateful that we have a high priest who is touched with the very feelings of our infirmities and was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. And because of that, we can come boldly before the throne of grace because He understands us. He understands what we're dealing with. He understands what we're going through. And let me remind you, the woman that was caught in the act of adultery, you remember John chapter 8, when they caught her in the act, she, she wasn't planning on doing it, she was in it. It was a setup is what it was. And these religious freaks only grab the woman because that's what man-made religion does. It always mistreats the woman. And they go grab this woman out of that bedroom and drag her down the street and put her at Jesus' feet. He said, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law says we should stone her. Now we got you. What do you say? Now what are you going to do, Jesus? Uh, you wrote this law. Yeah, go ahead. Whoever's not sinned, go for it. So they all left because they were all guilty of sinning. And the only one who had a right to throw the stone didn't. The one who had the right to condemn didn't. Now watch what he says. Woman, where are your accusers? She looks around. I have none, Lord. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. She didn't say she's sorry, Lord. I mean, she just in the bedroom a few minutes ago. She was just there, and she didn't, she didn't come here begging your forgiveness. Lord Jesus, please forgive me. None of that is recorded. She said, I don't have any, Lord. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, if he will do that under an old covenant before having died for our sins, if he would forgive someone without them asking for it, you see what I'm talking about? She confessed him as Lord, and that changed everything. She wasn't there confessing sins. She was confessing his lordship. If you sin, why don't you just stand up and say, Jesus is Lord of my life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You're Lord of my life. You're Lord of this spirit, Lord of this soul, Lord of this body. And I believe that from this day forward, 
I'm walking in a greater understanding, a greater level of your grace. I'm stronger after this meeting with you, Lord. Right now, I understand it's not about me. This is about what you did for me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you truly died for all my failures. And you don't condemn me today. So I choose not to, listen to me, I choose not to wallow in guilt and shame. Because not only did he take your sin, he also took the shame and guilt with it. So that you could live totally free. Does this help you tonight? You have an advocate with the Father. You have someone interceding for you. Someone speaking on your behalf. Be free in Him. Be free to live this. Uh, You're free. Listen, this is how free you are. You're free to be like Jesus. You're free to live like Him. You're free to not sin. Hallelujah. You're free to be free. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you tonight for the glorious thing that our Savior Jesus has done for us. That Christ died for our sins so that we don't have to die from our sins. Thank you, Lord, that He was buried and He rose again the third day. And when we believe on You truly, Lord, put all our trust in You. Not leaning on our own understanding, not leaning on our own way, our own feelings, our own thoughts about it, our own reasoning. But Lord, fully believing on Jesus. We live in the freedom of that experience, Lord. We live in the freedom of that reality, of that truth. Thank you, Lord, that your perfect love has cast out all fear. It is your love, God, that we that gives us the boldness in the most terrifying day of mankind, the day of judgment. But we, as, you, as yours who are loved by you, we are bold on that day because we understand as you are, so are we in this world. That Jesus, if you were to judge us, you would have to judge yourself because we are one in the Spirit. And if you won't judge yourself, you won't judge us. For whoever is joined to the Lord is one spirit with Him. Father, help us to embrace Your freedom tonight and to not be entangled with a yoke of bondage, to not be entangled with man's own ideals, man's religion and traditions. But Father God, that we would live in the freedom of the Spirit for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Thank you, Lord, for that. Hallelujah. In the mighty name of Jesus, we give you praise. What an amazing God we have. All Think about this. All man-made religions are men pursuing God. But ours is completely opposite. It's God pursuing us. He's pursuing us with a ravenous love. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. He was on hot pursuit. What a God we serve. What a God that we love. What a God who loves us. Let's stand together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Mm-hmm-hmm.
Now, Father, I thank you for your blessing now upon your people. Through the Lord Jesus Christ, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And your people go out of here tonight with that blessing on their lives. Your favor surrounds them as with a shield. Where they go, you go, because it's Christ in them, in them the hope of glory. And I thank you that they go carrying the anointing of the Holy Spirit that teaches them all things, carrying the Spirit of God who guides them into all truth so that they never live a lie. I thank you, Father God, that this people are strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. I thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, that no weapon formed against them will prosper. Every tongue that rises against them in judgment, even if it's their own tongue, they will condemn it in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, that you have set them free. You've made them free, Father God. Made them new creatures, new creations in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that when they go, they go in the power and the might of the Spirit of God. Thank you, Lord, that the message of reconciliation is upon their lips, God, that they carry this good news wherever they go, into their neighborhoods, their families, their friends, their circles of friends, God, their, their work, wherever they go, Lord, they carry this message and this gospel that is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. Lord, I thank you that this people shall know their God and be strong and do exploits in the earth. All of their children shall be taught of the Lord. Great shall be their peace. And Lord, tonight and the next night and the next night and this week, that Lord, when they go to sleep, when they lay down on their pillow tonight, that they will both lie down in peace and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make them dwell in safety. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you and give you peace in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. I love you guys. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com. 